Are you listening? Damn. Uh. On this episode of the Endurance Hour podcast, what are training logs? What does resting an injury mean? Can you split your long run into two runs on the same day? How do you know which training zones are which? Why are some workouts time-based and some workouts distance-based? And what's next after your last race of the season? And welcome back. This is episode 331 of the Endurance Hour podcast alongside co-host and Kona coach, Wendy Mater. I'm Dave Erickson. Wendy, uh, after restarting the podcast after a long hiatus, uh, what's the feedback you've been getting so far in the last five or six days? The feedback has actually been immediate. We've had, I've had people email me, text me, as well as post on Instagram that they've really enjoyed the podcast. They're happy that we're bringing it back and they kind of missed what we were doing before. So I'm really happy to hear that. Me too. And, you know, I've been posting a couple of things on our Endurance Hour Instagram account, uh, letting people know where we are, what we offer and so on. So we're getting some messages, DMs there. And then you even been, have been uh, receiving testimonials that are unrelated to the podcast, but are part of the Endurance Hour community. For one, uh, can you read that one about uh, one of the plans that uh, that we offer? Yeah, this is from Robert. He purchased um, our advanced Olympic distance training plan a few months ago. And he had previously, before he purchased our plan, a coach, but he wasn't really getting any instruction, direction, education, and he wasn't really making any progress. So he had about eight weeks to go until his race. He saw our training plan on Training Peaks, and he purchased it, sent us a swim video for analysis, which he said really helped him a lot. And then just um, last week, he sent me an email because he completed his race. So I just wanted to read that. He said, I just wanted to reach out to you and give you a huge thank you. I'm the 58-year-old who started training for my first Olympic try back in April. I was dropped by my first trainer, which he means coach, in July, and then turned to you and your eight-week program as I only had nine weeks to go before the Savage Man try. It turned out to be the best thing that I could have happened. Your program and videos were amazing. You even did a swim analysis via email that really helped. I received a, a log. I, I received more from coaching through your program than I did previously. About a month ago, he learned that his race was canceled. So he jumped into another race and he did it last a couple weeks ago. And although he didn't set any records, he finished in less than three hours and placed second in his age group. So I wanted to congratulate um, Robert on his experience and thank you for the feedback. That's so great. And he took advantage of the uh, the swim analysis. We've been doing swim analysis, uh, free video swimming coaching, I don't know, for a few years now and have well over 150, maybe 200 swim videos on YouTube and well over 100 of the run videos on YouTube. And it's just something that kind of one of those give backs of, hey, if you need some coaching help, this is how you how it works. You send us a video clip. When he looks at it, makes some notes, does a, an analysis, I edit it, and we put it on YouTube. And it's a great coaching tool, not just for the athlete, but for other people watching because of the details and uh, advice that you give. Someone might recognize, that's exactly what I do. My hand injury is, is too sh- shallow. It's too far out. My elbow's dragging and so on. Yeah, I think it's been actually a beneficial tool for a lot of people, as well as myself. You know, I, I keep, even though sometimes I kind of repeat myself, I repeat myself in a different way. <laughs> and 
you know, sometimes just saying the same thing and, and a slightly different wording will click for the athlete to hear it just slightly differently, but it means the same thing. Yeah. You know, our emphasis is and always will be on the multi-sport community and sharing our now more than 50 years of combined experience in triathlon. Uh, I don't know how many Ironmans you and I have done together, not to, not to mention all the hundreds of uh, triathlons, but um, we want to continue this momentum by having you join us in the T2 Endurance Club on Facebook. It's a closed private group. All you have to do is um, request to join. And in that request, we ask of three questions. That way we know that you're legit, you're not spam, and so on. They are, how do you hear about the group? Uh, what kind of events are you training for or interested in? And do you have a Training Peaks account? Now, why do we ask them about Training Peaks, Wendy? Well, most triathletes, multi-sport athletes, have heard of Training Peaks, but that's where we, you and I, have created probably over like 24 programs, um, triathlon, running, cycling, swimming programs in season and off season. They're all on training peaks. So anyone can search for our programs there. Initially we had some PDFs, but we found that, you know, with the app on your phone, you can take these workouts with you a little easier and then update your data, you know, almost sometimes in real time. And then if you have Wendy as a, a personalized coach, then you can get some feedback with her immediately and have her linked to your account because uh, it has a free account, but you can upgrade your account to have a coach involved and then have different features associated with the training peaks. I, it's invaluable. And we'll talk, we'll talk about training logs and the importance of that here coming up, but it's, that's why we asked that question. And so we have, uh, how many people we have like 600 members in the groups, not big, but we try to keep it, you know, to a, a certain group because we want to have it to where everyone's interacting and helping each other. And then we post questions and answers and so on. So we have three new requests that we're going to go through here and, uh, I'll read through them with the first being, you know, how'd you hear about this group? This is from, uh, Tenille, and they requested just a day ago. They said, I heard about it from Wendy's email. Wendy, how'd they get an email from you? Well, Tennille actually purchased our Couch to Half Ironman program on Training Peaks. Ah. And for anyone who purchased a program for us, if they leave their email address in, the, in their profile, I receive an email that they purchased the plan. And if I can email them back, I thank them for purchasing the plan. And then I mentioned that we have updated video content on the Endurance Hour YouTube channel, as well as our T2 endurance group that they should join mm -hmm. for more support and accountability as they follow the program. And we have over 2000 videos on the endurance, our YouTube channel, well over 2000 and about 20,000 uh, subscribers. So what kind of events is Tennille training for interested in half Ironman? And yes, she does have a training peaks account. So we're going to approve her. She's involved now. Next up, this is uh, from Flores. Flores, um, and they heard about it from an email. They, uh, this is their third try first sprint aqua bike. Those, I guess, what kind of events are you training for their third try and interested in a sprint aqua bike? And yes, they do have a training peaks account. So based on their account, they also like cats, but they're very specific in their answers. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one, Alyssa. She heard about us through the podcast, which I'm guessing might be recent since you know, we're now on iTunes and we also post the video podcast on YouTube. And what kind of events are you training for or interested in? Triathlons, all distances, sprint to Ironman. Good for her. And we have, um, does she have a training peaks count? Yes. 
and good for her because we have all distances at uh, both levels, beginner and intermediate. But you, um, I don't know, it was a couple years ago that you expanded the idea of we have these beginner Ironman triathlon programs or beginner half iron, but you started doing these couch two uh, systems or programs. Why are those different mm-hmm. or how are those different than your basic beginner Ironman program? Right. So we have a couch to sprint, couch to Olympic, couch to half and couch to 140.6. And they're just longer. So usually if someone's, you know, quote unquote, coming off the couch into a training plan, that type of athlete has, in my mind, less experienced and they would, I would want them to get more training weeks, months, um, underneath them before they attempted their first race. So for example, our beginner half Ironman program is 16 weeks, but our couch to half Ironman is 24 weeks. So that's an additional eight weeks. And so we start them at a lower volume of training on week one in the couch two program than we do in the beginner one. Okay. And you can just type in Wendy Mater on training peaks, but we have links to those, uh, directly to her training peaks account on, on, uh, endurancehour.com. So if you're looking for her, like, well, how do I find Wendy on training peaks? There's so many coaches out there, so many different programs. Well, under her profile, it lists all the programs that we have. And I think what makes our special and better than most is that we have video coaching elements within every single program that we sell when it comes to triathlon. So, you know, different training, uh, videos before every training block, uh, breakout Q and a videos, just a lot of great content that we try to add more value for you. All right. As promised on this program, lots of great questions and our questions are coming from you, the listener and the viewer. So leave those in the T2 endurance club or on anything associated with endurance hour. And, uh, we will make that the focus of our content of each program. This one is about training logs. So Wendy, um, would you like to read this one or would you like me to read it and then you answer it? Um, why don't you read it and I'll answer it. Okay. So an athlete was discussing their nutrition and forgot what they used at Ironman Florida a couple years ago. They write here, because I have athletes fill out a post-race report and I log into the Training Peaks log, I was able to go back to an Ironman Florida 2019 and look at his nutrition and where it went wrong so we don't repeat those mistakes for the race in Ironman Arizona. So the value of training logs, that right there says it all. They made some mistakes. Talk about the value of training logs. Yeah, so I, I think it's really important not just to upload your Garmin data, GPS data, whatever you're using, heart rate. It's, a, it's important to write subjective details, especially like after a race. You do your post-race review, race report, whatever you want to call it, season reflection, and just subjective details along the way, like let's say for today, I went for a ride, um, it started to rain, so I cut my ride short, or it started to rain, so that limited my ability to ride fast because it was slick. Just details like that, so you can look back on those and see how the weather impacted the the data, you know, and kind of use the data, you know, I think the data is good to use as feedback, but I also like to have athletes record their rate of perceived effort. And so when this particular athlete, I actually coach him, he has been having some issues with nutrition and he's preparing for Ironman Arizona, which is less than 12 weeks away. So we really want to get a handle on it now. So I had asked him, I go, well, what's worked with you in the past? And his comment back to me was, 
well, if you remember in Florida, I had some issues, but then he said, I don't remember what they were. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back and look. So I, I was able to go back in his training peaks account from two years ago and see his post race report, which included the reason he had GI distress and what he was using, what we talked about probably caused that type of GI distress. And so now we're able to like jump ahead two years later and say, we need to make some changes. Don't do that. Let's try this in the next few training sessions. It can even be as simple as, uh, I only had five hours of sleep because the kids got up early or, uh, I wasn't feeling well, or I, w I was tired in the morning, or I, I only had this much to eat, or I didn't have anything to eat. Any, all these little inf pieces of information will help explain and understand why you had the performance you did, good or bad. I, I think about that too with, oh gosh, I can't remember how much water I had today. Oh my goodness. Or I didn't have any fruits and vegetables today. Was, you know, it would be crazy to think, think that, but oh, I ate like crap. No wonder. Or I had this meal. And I performed well. Let's see if we can replicate that or at least get close to it for yeah. the next training session or what was led up to race day. All these things really help you understand where you were and where you can be in the future. Yeah. And, you know, training peaks now, as of like maybe a year ago, they added little emojis. You can put it a little hmm. like a happy emoji. You know, that means everything went well to a frown emoji. That means it went bad. And you can even rate your rate of perceived effort training peaks makes it so easy you can just click on you know a number one through ten to indicate how hard that was one being very very easy ten being very very hard so then as you are looking at your own data or the coach is looking at the data they can say okay today your rate of perceived effort was a five your power was zone four but your rate of perceived effort was pretty moderate Maybe it's time to check, reach, reset your training zones because if your current zone four is only a rate of perceived effort of a five, well, then you probably have a higher zone four or threshold. And so it's just a valuable way to um, kind of manage, manage everything in life that's going on and in learning yourself all those things that impact your effort for that day. And I've already have short-term memory loss here. Did we discuss the resting and injury before we press record, or did you already mention that? No. I don't know either. What does resting and injury mean? Because you were talking about the rowing instead of swimming. Was that before oh, we recorded? Yeah, that was before we okay. recorded. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let, let, we'll get. Here's the next question. What does well, resting and injury well, mean? Wait, wait, wait. I think I think because we just talked about training zones, I think we should go into that one. Training zones? Oh, that question? Because we just we were just talking about it. Excellent, excellent. Question about training zones. An athlete just purchased the 70.3 Couch 2 program, joined the Facebook group, and her question was, I have loads of questions, but I think my first is, how do I actually know which zones are which? I'm watching your YouTube videos, so I'm sure I'll find something there. We've covered this in in those videos, but it's a good refresher. Go ahead. Yeah, so training zones can be... Um, a training zone can be monitored in heart rate, power, pace, rate of perceived effort. Everyone is going to use something different. Sometimes athletes are going to use all of them. Sometimes athletes are going to be like, I don't use power or heart rate. What's RPE? Hmm. RPE is rate of perceived effort, and there's a scale on, on, of 1 to 10. 
and I'm, I comment on that and I, we've done videos and explain what all these training zones, how you can monitor them with those metrics. Now, how you determine them is generally the best to do like some baseline data. And we include an example of the baseline data. Most of the time we include that in first, first week of our training plans, but for the couch two programs, they're usually in week four or week eight. And you do like a functional threshold power test. If you're training by power, you do a one and a half mile to three mile run test and you do a 500 to one K swim test at a, at a, the best effort you have for that day. And then usually generally your average power heart rate pace for that, that test is your, what's called a zone four. That's zone four is your threshold. And then you can plug that number into training peaks and it'll do the rest of the calculations zone one, two, three, and five. I tend to use a five zone scale. There's other scales out there that use three zones. Some, some coaches, some programs will use six to eight zones. So I'm usually going by a five zone scale, which was, um, I learned about from Joe Friel back in 1997. So that's just something I've learned and it works for me. And so it, it's just following training zones, whether you use pace, heart rate, power, or rate of perceived effort, it's just the way to monitor intensity and kind of keep you in check and give you, provide you a lot of feedback. You know, for example, you know, if you're out on a hot day and your heart rate is very high that day, it could, it could just be not from your intensity. It could be from the weather, the heat's going to increase your heart rate. So if you're monitoring your rate of perceived effort and you know, you're in the correct endurance zone, say a, a RPE of four or five, even though your heart rate's high, it, again, it's just a way to give you feedback and the more feedback, you know, you learn from as you follow the guidelines, the better you're going, the more fit you're going to become because you're going to have an understanding of what it's like to go hard, moderate, and easy. Do you personally have a favorite, um, uh, type of, um, metric for yourself? RPE, rate of perceived effort, always. I don't like to be dictated by heart rate. So back in when I started these in the early 90s, I got a heart rate monitor and I actually was a swimmer in college. And my parents bought me a heart rate monitor after my first season of triathlon. So I wore my heart rate monitor, didn't, didn't know a thing about it. It was years before I really understood what the zones were. I just thought it was cool to look at my heart rate when I was training and when I was resting, but I had no idea how to use it until I read Joe Friel's um, cycling training Bible in 1997. And so heart rate for me was a gold standard back then. They didn't have GPSs, so I didn't monitor pace or anything like that. I just used a regular Timex digital watch. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, when I started running more trails and more Hills, heart rate became less effective for me because your heart rate's going to go high. Even if you run up a hill easy, your heart rate's going to elevate. And when you run downhill, your heart rate's going to decrease. So then I started learning more about power. And then when I got my first bike power meter in 2014, power's definitely the gold standard for me. 
while I'm training on the bike. And I also, um, had a power meter for running and I used that for a few years. But like I said, when I started running more trails and more mountains up and down the power meter and running became less of a thing for me because it was, it was just too hard to monitor on such varied terrain. Mm. But I've always, 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 always used rate of perceived effort. So now when I train bike or run, usually on bike by power, I use that as feedback. I still go by effort as I monitor my power and I can say, Oh, today my effort was a six and my power was really high. You know, that's exciting. But I, I'm, I race by effort. I collect the data and then I analyze it in the end. Good stuff. Good stuff. How about you? I think it's a, a constantly juggling all of them as, as they're coming in, uh, bike, mm-hmm. it's going to be, uh, power specifically, um, heart rate and eh, it depends on how long the ride is, but I kind of know where it's going to be. And then mm-hmm. when it comes to running, it, it really, it's heart rate for me. Cause I'm a little bigger of an athlete. Uh, I'm trying to lose some weight, but I'm a little bigger of an athlete. So I know that it's my work heart has to work harder. Um, but I know if I get a little late, you know, a little lighter in pounds, then I'll go a little faster. So pace is going to be relative to probably my body weight and fitness. But if I can stay with a certain heart rate, then I know, uh, based on VO2 max testing and those kind of things that if I get to a certain point, I only have so much long, longer to go before my body cramps up. So the mm-hmm. heart rate kind of tells me, all right, stay within this range because if you go any faster, lactate's going to build up, you're going to cramp, you won't be able to maintain it. And heat is an issue. I'm not a great hot weather runner, although some of that I think is in my head, but that's an area that I want to work on in the future. So cycling is the, uh, the power of Watts for sure. And then running, I'm watching heart rate and everything else will kind of work within that. If I can lower my heart rate and go faster, great. Then the pace is going to adjust. But if I can lower my heart rate and be fitter, then it'll all work out. I think. Yeah. And I think in the end, the number one thing is, is let's say you, you do a 30 minute run and you cover three miles and your average heart rate is 150. And then two months from now, you do a three mile run at an average heart rate of 150, but you run 27 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's a sign of fitness. Great. Yeah, you, ra- you, you ran faster at the same heart rate for yep. three miles. Yep. And so you monitoring your zones is a way to measure your fitness. Um, hopefully you're getting more fit, but it's also a way to tell you, okay, you, th- things are going aren't going the right way. You need to change the plan and sure. figure things out. And there's something called cardiac drift. If you've heard that, where the heart rate starts to go lower and you're you're just not responding well, something's wrong. You're you're losing. You're you're like on a hot day, and it's like I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. harder and harder and harder, but my heart rate's dropping. Something's wrong. Whether I'm not hydrated, mm-hmm. energy's gone. There's different things that 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 will impact your heart rate too. Whether it's the weather, right? Yeah. Right. It's just, again, I I like to stress, it's just, they're really good feedback tools, the power meter, the GPS and the heart rate. Uh, Let's segue to this one because this is similar. Uh, Well, what, why are some workouts time-based whereas some are distance-based? Because right there you talked about it in a way of like, okay, we're going to do a three mile run today. Well, you're going to do the distance or you're going to do a 30 minute run because there's the difference between what can be accomplished within that set period or that set distance. Right. So the, the first response is your body knows how much time it's trained. It doesn't know how much distance it's gone. Mm. So that's a, that's a, that's really the, the main, the main reason why time based training is really relative. And at the same time, as you get more familiar with your pace and your effort, 
you're going to have an idea of how many miles are you going to cover in 30 minutes. If you're going to do a 30 minute run and an endurance zone, which would be zone two or RPE of five, you know, are you going to cover, you know, two and a half miles or three and a half miles? You know, there's, it's not that much difference. If you cover three and a half miles and you're truly in an endurance zone and two months ago, you only covered two and a half miles in the endurance zone, well, you're getting faster and fitter. Um, I think ultimately the benefit of doing distance is especially important when you're doing like half Ironmans, half marathons or Ironmans or marathons, because you want to, you want that confidence that you can go with the distance. Mm. And so some athletes are like, and you know, you know, they're a 10 minute mile. So, you know, in a two and a half hour run, generally they're going to run about 16 miles. They don't care. They're going to go 16 miles. Even if it takes them 240. they're like, I want to nail 16 miles, not a certain time. So it's a lot of it is for me as a coach is getting to know what's going to work best for the athlete. But I also like to use a combination during the weekdays. Most athletes, especially biking, are going to train indoors. So distance is not relevant when you're training indoors, whereas on the weekends, they're going to train outdoors where that distance becomes more relevant because they're outside. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's that's the way that's the reason I do distance or time. Do you kind of plan some of your workouts, I guess, uh, that way as well, where, all right, I look at my watch, I only have 40 minutes and then I have to get home to do something. So I'm only going 40 minutes or today I want to get five miles in. So I'm going to do five miles no matter how long it takes me. Yes. Uh, yeah. I still do both. In the yeah. beginning, when I was less experienced, I was distance based because of the mental thing. I needed to know I could go the distance. Mm-hmm. Now I'm mostly time, but again, I've been doing this for so long. I know I know based on my effort, is it only going to take me two more minutes to cover five miles? Well, I'm going to take two more minutes to cover five miles. Mm-hmm. Or is it going to take me 10 more minutes to cover five miles? And I only have 40 minutes. I'm not going to cover five miles, you know? So again, it's, it's keeping that training log and keeping those comments and learning and just being really aware and really present on what's going on as you're performing the training details. Well, these questions are really uh, stacking up to uh, complement each other. So let's go ahead and do the resting and the injury because let's say you're overtraining and you know something happens like this person here, an athlete who uses our training plans on uh, Training Peaks has been battling multiple injuries, told you that his PT told him it is time to rest. So he substituted rowing instead of swimming and uh, commented that it's not, and then commented it's not rest. Maybe he needs some time off to rest. So we can chat more about resting an injury, what that really means. And this topic has been uh, added to the T2 Endurance Club group on Facebook. So what does resting an injury mean? Does it mean lighter exercise or does it mean no exercise or something in between? Right. So ultimately it depends on the athlete. This specific athlete is attached to my training peaks accounts. I'm not really his, I'm not his personalized coach, but he's used a lot of our training plans so I can still see his comments. So I've known for a while he's been battling one injury to the next, to the next, to the next. And so when I read his comment that he wrote on training peaks that he was told he should rest to me immediately, that meant time off. Like no, not even cross training. That means he needs to time off to let his injuries heal with maybe getting some physical therapy, um, core stability activation, whatever, maybe some light movements in a therapeutic place that he's being monitored. 
So I posted the question on our T2 Endurance Facebook group just to see what other people would comment on. Um, I also know me as an athlete, the injuries that I've sustained in the past as I'm training for an Ironman usually um, is calf or Achilles related and I've had to take time off running. So I take time off running, but I don't rest. I'm able to cross train like aqua jogging or doing the elliptical or the step mill. And then I'm still able to swim and bike, but I'm, I'm resting from running because that's what, what actually was causing pain Mm -hmm. in the calf and Achilles. And so ultimately it's just really relative to the nature of the injury and how long the injury has been going on. If you've had an injury for a few weeks, a few months, number one, you need to go get a diagnostic, a diagnose from a, from a, you know, therapist, chiropractor, PT, whoever you like to go to and make sure you're treating the injury and what caused it. And so you're, and then follow their guidelines as to what they suggest you should do rehab wise or time off or cross training that you're not going to continue to get worse. It's so hard with the personality of a, uh, a multi-sport athlete, isn't it? Like, well, I yeah. got three options. If I can't do this, I'll do these other two things. And I, I think you can work, you work around it. You avoid the injured area. And luckily with the three, three different sports, you can probably find one that allows you to continue exercising. Mm-hmm. When I had my knee Definitely. issue earlier this year, I could, I could easily swim. I don't have to kick. I can use a pull buoy so I can swim. Yep. Uh, cycling, do some light spinning. Or I can do some cross training, some TRX, those kind of things. I don't have to run on an E. I can find other ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two more questions, and we're running out of time, but we'll, I want to get to them um, about long runs. One person had a question here about their ha- they have time constraints throughout the day. Can they split their long run into two different runs at different times of the day? So they, they have a long run they can do eight in the morning and eight in the evening. Is that still the same benefits of one long run, Coach? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to start by saying a long run is your longest run of the week. So a long run for, for you, maybe four miles for me, it may be 10 for someone else. It may be 20 miles. <laughs> and so the long, the long run is just relative to who you are and, and what your longest run of the week is. Um, I think it's important that the benefit, you know, you know, the benefits of a long run, you know, building your cardiovascular system, um, using your body fat for fuel, um, running on tired legs, there's a, you know, running economy. So there's a lot of different things that's going on during a long run. And this specific athlete, I think she was actually running eight miles in the morning and eight miles in the evening. Does that count as a long run? And immediately I'm like, well, that's like two long runs. You're doing a long run of eight miles in the morning and a long run of eight miles in the evening. I think the benefit though, to do it that way is the second run you are running maybe more on tired legs, but you've had, you've had some nutrition, some hydration, some rest. Mm-hmm. And so you're able, you're going to be able to maybe sustain a faster pace yeah. during the 16 mile total accumulation for that 24 hour period. Yeah. And in a way that's actually beneficial. And so, you know, for ultra running, may, many ultra runners, we will run some miles in the morning, but then we'll run some miles in the evening because the nature of our ultra run is going to include some evening, night running. So it really is just all relative to the person. 
So I think you're going to get all the benefits of a long run, splitting it up into two. I would think that if you can avoid it, try to avoid that, but you're going to need to get that 16 miler or 20 miler in at some point. So the body knows how to take that pounding for that full duration or that full distance. Sure. Cause you're going to have some recovery in between those two, eight milers in the day. Yeah. Right? And that's a, and that's a, a good point. The pounding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're conditioning your body to do when you go out and do these hundred mile bike rides. You want to get, you want to know what it feels like to be in the saddle that long. You don't want to do like, you know, a 50 here and a 50 there. It's like, ah, I know, I, I know I can do 50, but can you do a hundred? And what does that feel when you're done? You need to know what right. that feels like. That way it's not uh, a surprise to you. So when the person gets done with 16 miles, they know what they feel like because two eight milers even split up is not going to feel the same as one long. Don't they say like if you do an, uh, a marathon, it almost wrecks you more than doing an Ironman? Something about one hard effort mm-hmm. versus, you know, maybe that's not the right example, but there's a different feeling after one long duration versus two breaking things up. Yeah, running running 26.2 miles is going to feel different than running and walking 26.2 miles. Yeah. When that's all you're doing. Right. Yeah. Okay, let's get the last one in here. And this is, again, perfect. Uh, Where is it at here? It says, hey, coach, I just finished my final race of the season. What's next? What do I do? It's your off season. Uh, Do I take it easy? Do I do a different sport? Do I go back to the drawing board and work on some things now? Do I maybe rest? Uh, what are your thoughts here, coach, on uh, now that the season's over? What's next for this athlete? Well, I think the best time to take actually time off, especially time off your primary sport, if not just time off all activity, is after your last race of the season. It allows you to, to really let your body recover and recuperate and do things that you don't normally do. I understand it's really hard for an endurance athlete to actually just take time completely off. So adding some cross training in, you're probably going to do anyways, even if your coach tells you don't do anything, make, keep the um, focus of whatever activity you're doing while you're taking time off is very easy, aerobic in nature, skills and drills oriented and, and very short, you know, um, give yourself at least two weeks of time completely off or just doing really, really light. I I like active recovery, going for walks instead of runs, getting in the pool with some fins on and, and going really super slow and working more on your technique in the pool or some spinning because it's fall. The weather's really nice in the fall and you just want to get outside on your bike, but you have no direction and no details with regards to volume or duration and intensity. And then, you know, reflect on your season. You know, the answer to your question is what's next is based on how did your season go? What worked? What didn't work? What are your goals for the upcoming season? And and the answers to those questions is going to um, allow you to to figure out what you want to focus on. Mm -hmm. For me and this particular athlete I know is um, she wants to improve her running. Sometimes when you're a multi-sport athlete, it's hard to improve in one sport within the multi-sport swim bike run because your multi-sport training and the biking and the swimming, if, if you want to improve your running, the biking and the swimming may be taken away from your time available to just focus on running as well as add fatigue. Mm-hmm. So 
You know, I think for me, I like, I prefer single sport focuses during my off season, out of season, you know, the, the time frame between my last race of the season, um, to the time I start preparing for next season. And it's worked well for me over the years is to, I never stop running. Um, running used to be my weak length and now it's become one of my stronger, stronger parts of the triathlon. And I really enjoy trail running and I really enjoy spending time in my off season, not taking my watch and just going for a run and, and refocusing on skills and drills and just kind of just being outside in nature. And then a lot of people, multi-sport athletes we're talking about could really benefit from keeping their bike in their garage, hanging up their running shoes and just focusing on swimming. Mm-hmm. I think, I think swimming is usually the weaker event for a multi-sport athlete. So doing a single sport swim focus plan is also, I think a really good thing to do, um, in your transition season. Yeah. I've talked to three people in the last couple of weeks and whether they're uh, non-triathletes or people who have done the sport or who are thinking about it, it's always the swim that's the fear factor. Like, uh, I, I don't, I'd, I'd do it if it wasn't the swim or I'm deathly scared of the swim. I can do it, but I'm just, uh, you know, it's the unknown. Even though I can do it, I guess something in my head. So which why I'm bringing this up is that whatever you are struggling with most or scared of most, maybe focus on that overcome that fear in your mm-hmm. off season and, and make that your focus. That way it won't be so scary next time around. Some just get out and do what you're scared of most. And that can probably be said for anything in life. Right. And I think for me, it was always running. I always was fearing the marathon. It was so running just became my, my out of season thing to keep doing. Um, and I, I also want to think, say, you know, maybe it has nothing to do with your sport physically, but you got to work on your mental side of training, or you got to improve your nutrition, not your fueling, not your pre during and post training fueling, but you got to improve your day to day regular nutrition. So you don't, you know, put on too much weight when you're out of season, like I used to, (laughs) um, and the mental skills, you know, just learning how to, what you need to do to, to ease that race day anxiety or that anxiety about the swimming or the open water or the biking or running, whatever it is, there's a lot of things you can focus on post season. But if you stick to the basics of recovery, nutrition, um, tackling your weaker event, tackling things that you fear, or just going out and trying something new, like a new challenge, a new sport, make it fun. You know, they say that ignorance is bliss or sometimes those first time athletes at a distance at that pro level, for example, this is the first time they've ever done Kona or this is their first ever Ironman. They don't know what they don't know. And sometimes you go out there blindly and you do well because you're not thinking, you're not overthinking right. what it is you're about to do or what you're doing. And I think maybe that could be one of those mindset. If you can practice doing that in training, let's say it is swim or for me, it's running like, um, don't think, don't, don't go into the mindset. Like this is going to be hard. Go into it. Like I'm just going to go running. I don't let any other factors get in your head. Be so simple minded. That's, that's kind of, I don't know if that's stupid or not. Simple. Mm-hmm. Go out there and just do and try not to think that's what any type of athletic event or activity. Like for me, for example, right now, I'm, I'm really into and getting very good at darts, you know, throwing at, um, at darts. And 
all the work and effort is in practice. So when you go up in competition, it's automatic. You can't think. Mm -hmm. You can't overthink. I'll see someone come come up to the line. You have three darts. And they'll throw one. They'll throw two. They'll pause and think. The third dart may not be where they want to go because they've mm-hmm. stopped the motion. They stopped the sequence of what they're doing. And I think the same thing can be said for a multi-sport athlete. If you get out there and just go swimming and stop thinking about, oh, I got to make sure I have my right hand entry or I got to sight correctly, just do what you've trained to do. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't work in the, in the event, go back to training next time. You know, Work on it in training and then just be on instincts. Everyone talks about that in every sport. You don't go out there and th- think you react based on what your training has set you up for. Right. Just be present. Be present in the moment. Enjoy that mm-hmm. moment. Be there. Don't worry about overthinking it. And I've overtalked. Episode 331 is in the can. Thank you so much for, uh, for participating by submitting questions. This is all about you and making it focus about the multi-sport athlete. So submit those questions to the T2 Endurance Club on Facebook. It's private. So just uh, answer those three questions and um, leave your name. And if you have any other questions for us, you can reach us uh, by going to the Endurance Hour, sign up for our newsletter, uh, contact Wendy Wendy directly by going to her Training Peaks account. Look her up there. Uh, Any other final contact details from you, Wendy? Um, you can always email me, t2coachwendy at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook. Um, some athletes prefer to send me it through Facebook Messenger, although I may not get to that immediately. I've actually found on Instagram, I found a lot of old messages that people were reaching out to me on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think Instagram maybe changed or updated, but all of a sudden, I last week I was responding to athletes who email or Facebook message or Instagram messaged me. <laughs> Anyways, both Dave and I are all over social media. Yes. All right, thank you. Share the po- share the podcast, share the video podcast, let people know about it. Uh, and if not, selfishly take it for yourself and enjoy. We'll see you next week for another episode. For Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Have a great week of training or racing. We'll see you next time. Adios. Adios. Adios.